information contained herein should not be considered investment advice. All investments have risks. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon without first consulting your personal financial, tax, and legal advisors. The Benchmark Podcast is affiliated with BCS Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to The Benchmark, a podcast from our team here at BCS Wealth Management. And today, this is John, Brandon, and today I'm here with Nick and and Myra. Um, We're a month into the new year already. How are things going for you all? I feel like I can't believe it's February already. Yeah, we we got through January pretty quick, and um, the sunshine outside makes me ready for it to be April, but... um, (laughs) We'll I take, saw something. We'll take it. We'll take what we can get for now. <laughs> I saw something the other day. It made me laugh. It said uh, January was the longest year ever. Finally made it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds accurate. And yeah. it was cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cold and that, and, and dark. We, we since this year started, we've almost got all four seasons all in about <laughs> thirty-five days. So yeah. that's Tennessee for you. Well, today we uh, uh, the new year um, time to reevaluate things. Uh, uh, plan for the year ahead, and one of the things that we often talk about in our world with our clients is uh, is risk, and um, how do we prepare a portfolio or our clients um, for you know for their goals? Um, and risk seems like a very loose term and broad, but you know hopefully we'll try to define that a little more for our listeners today and. Uh, uh, you know, Nick, when you're talking to your clients, what do you, how do you explain risk? So risk is something that we're exposed to in some type every day, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, getting in the car, driving to work or crossing the street or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes we miss, you know, can kind of misperceive risk of what's actually more risky than other things and that's just human nature um and we talk a little bit about that in our behavioral finance podcast but you know and when it comes to investing or financial terms the the best broadest definition is probably that an investment or a portfolio's outcome or actual gains will differ from an expected outcome or what you expect uh it to return and so um, underneath that umbrella, there's there's a lot of different types of risk when it comes to investing uh, or financial management. And so just a few of those uh, real quick, just and, and this is not a, an exhaustive list by any means, but uh, obviously investment risk is the potential to uh, lose money um, or, um, you know, get out of your plan before uh, you've you've reached your goal because you can't handle the associated risk. Uh, Interest rate risk is really, interest rate risk and reinvestment risk kind of go hand in hand. Um, These days with with a rapid rise in interest rates and historically low interest rates before that, and you know, people anticipating interest rate decreases, but interest rate risk is, you know, rates increasing 
And if you own bonds or fixed income as part of your portfolio, which historically people think are uh, safe investments, they actually, uh, the price of those bonds and the value of those bonds can, can go down. And the opposite of that is, is reinvestment risk. You know, if rates are doing the, you know, not going up and they're decreasing as your fixed income securities, whether it's uh, bonds or CDs for that matter, uh, when they mature at their maturity date, what you can in reinvest that money for uh, is probably going to be at a lower rate than what it was before. So that could affect, you know, uh, income and retirement if that's if fixed income is a big part of your retirement income. Um, some of the bigger, more broad, broad, you know, terms of risk, geopolitical risk, uh, which is governmental factors around the world, you know, potential wars or, or rumors of wars or things like that that can affect people's fear and and thus knee-jerk reactions inside the market. Um, we even have some of that this year, right? Yeah. About presidential I, elections and yeah, changing I, I think leadership. It's, Right. I think it's, um, you know, that's probably more like political risk. Um, but I think political risk and geopolitical risk in this day and age almost kind of go hand in hand because a, a particular political party, uh, you know, has their set of expectations by people and um, and people in, invest around those if they're more capitalistic or more, um, you know, spend more money on military I, I don't know you know it's just that there's associated risks or perceived risks with different types of uh, political parties and and some of those are misguided um, yeah. which we've also found out here recently volatility risk is just fluctuations in the market you know we'll talk about this in a few minutes but you know uh, you have to be able to handle the volatility associated with a particular investment plan uh, in order for it to potentially meet meet your goals and sometimes you may think returns look good or projected returns look good, but if you can't handle the volatility associated with it, um, you know, you're, you're kind of hindering your goal. And so, um, and that might be the most yeah. one we, we think about. Yeah, I think it is when we use the term risk in the investment world, it can mean all those things that Nick just mentioned. There's different avenues with it, but I think what's commonly meant by the word risk with investments is just the volatility. Um, that's why we tend to think of if you, you know, we say stocks are more risky than bonds. Well, not really. It depends on what your goals are. But, you know, from a volatility standpoint on the short run, you know, definitely um, you could have a stock fluctuate in price. I mean, 10% in a day, maybe more, depending on what's going on. So when you think of the short run, you're looking at day to day, then volatility risk plays a big part in your portfolio planning and how you structure your portfolio um, based off of kind of your, your time horizon. So um, I think that's generally when we talk to clients about risk or they say, I don't want a risky portfolio. You know, I, I don't have a high risk tolerance. I, that's typically what they are talking about. Right. And they've probably had some experiences in the past that may influence their right. Right. perception of what's going to happen in, in the future. But you know, when and, and when we talk about risk, we're looking at several factors. You know, what's the our first one is probably what's your time horizon, right? right. How long do you have before you're going to need 
this money? And um, I guess we'll first start with age on that. It will say in a retirement plan where you'll be penalized greatly if you touch it before you know, 59 and a half, then um, let's use that as the maybe the, the first barometer and say, okay, you're 20 years old, you've got you know 40 years or so to invest, you have a long time horizon. So um, generally younger investors can take on that, uh, the fluctuations in the market um, Day to day, it may fluctuate more, but over the long term, you'll be rewarded for taking on that higher risk in the form of higher returns. Um, you know, we go back to um, Botson frequently, and uh, in in his book, it's you know the ninety ten portfolio over a ten year rolling period, a ninety percent stock portfolio is positive ninety nine percent of the time. And that's just over 10 years. That's not all that long, really. And a um, uh, portfolio made up of the same 90-10 split is positive 100% of the time. So the longer you have to invest, the better off you, you can generally afford to take a little more volatility risk, right? And I mean, there are some things that we can, you know, Nick will touch on this, I think, a little bit that we can diversify away or structure the portfolio. But uh, um, generally, longer time horizon, you have the better off you'd be with if you, if you can take the risk to meet those longer term goals. Um, and I and I would even say that if you're, you know, when we talk about long term, I mean, preferably it's ten or more years, depending on the situation. Maybe it's five or more years, but you know, we we get that question a lot. I got this yesterday evening. It's what would you do? How would you invest this money? Uh, I'm cash heavy. I need to put it to work. And the first question is, do you think you're going to need this money anytime soon? And then it's, well, define soon. And so, you know, preferably at least five years, five to 10 years at minimum, but kind of coming back to that, um, one might say if you're a long-term investor, the, the real risk is not owning stocks and not owning, you know, investments that do create volatility just simply because long term they they do have they reward you in in terms of better returns right right um yeah the and then we look at even just age or when you're going to use it but different types of accounts you know it could be a 529 you may be investing for a long time frame uh for somebody that's going to start withdrawing out of that account at 18 well we start scaling back the portfolio from a risk perspective at age 15 or 16, so you don't have the fluctuation in value. But if you look at that, you know, rolling 10, 15 year period, um, somebody, an account like that would uh, be treated the same way as, say, a retirement account. You know, it's when are you going to use the money? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with emergency savings. You're not going to probably don't want a lot of volatility in something that you have in the bank just for emergency purposes or saving for a new home or weddings or whatever uh, life circumstances may may throw at you. And that's um, something else that we talk about is that to the next point, when are you going to use the money? When do you perceive that you might need it? Do you not know <laughs> if you ever need it? Your emergency savings uh, account. So, yeah. That, and what I always say there is like you, you, <laughs> 
you know, you want it to be there when you need it. Therefore, if you think that you don't need it today, there's nothing to say that you may need it in six months for whatever reason. So it's emergency, you know, savings or emergency fund that, you know, we recommend would be six to 12 months living expenses completely set aside. And as tempting as it is sometimes to invest it for more growth than what you can get inside like a CD or money market or savings account, it's just not worth it. If for some reason things go south right when you need it most. Right, right. Kind of like um, we talk about diversification in retirement and and tax diversification. Um, You don't want to have to sell into a down market, uh, whether it be RMDs or with your emergency savings. So um, those those are things that we always look at and talk about with clients. But, you know, internally we have, you may hear from us different industry terms, beta, standard deviation. Um, really, those are things that, that we're looking at measurements that, uh, whether it be mutual funds or ETFs or uh, even stocks that, or you may hear it on the news, uh, that we look at internally to gauge the volatility um, or risk of a particular investment. Um, but, uh, you know, that's how we're looking at it. But we do try to do things in portfolios to to minimize or mitigate risk or at least match up with your required return and uh, you know what you can stomach from a volatility standpoint yeah there's really um ideally in a perfect world we're trying to maximize returns with as little risk as possible and so that's why sometimes you know we look at the beta of a particular investment or the standard deviation of you know, or portfolio, um, because what we're trying to do is is make the ride as smooth as possible and still achieve the returns um, that we're targeting that may fulfill a financial goal or plan. And, um, you know, that that makes it that just makes it easier for the investor. Yeah, and I think we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to this. And and I've even read um lots of recommendations that even an investment advisor should have another advisor to counsel them because you know when we see our money drop quickly um even if we don't plan to use it for 30 40 more years um it feels different than when you're kind of planning this stuff out and you're like yeah i can handle if this drops you know a certain amount in a certain period of time when it's all hypothetical, it seems a little bit easier, but when it actually happens, we can tend to be our own worst enemy and do the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. So I um, think that's where that comes into play is having the goals set up and the structure around it that this is my time horizon. I've got different buckets, if you will, different categories for different time horizons, like the emergency fund. and you know, you have all those things set up and then an advisor to reinforce to you when, when things aren't going well, that there's a plan for it and this is expected and, you know, we just got to wait through it. Then um, it makes a difference in the, the outcome of your of your long term goals. So whether or not you achieve them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we talk about can we can you actually can you minimize the risk or can you control the risk? And to a certain extent, you can. You know, um, I've I've heard it said from a lot of people, and I tell people this all the time that 
when it comes to investing, the only free lunches you have are, are time and diversification. And so if you have both of those, if you have um, time and in terms of long, long time horizon and are diversified, then you're you're insulating yourself more so than uh, the you know another investor who's trying to maximize profit profits through speculative investing in the short term. And so, um, you know, there's there's really we talked about different types of uh, risk, investment risk, political risk and all these other things. But we kind of classify them as systematic risk and unsys- unsystematic risk. And so systematic risk is really um, it's a type of risk that uh, we can't really diversify away from for the most part. It's risk that affects the entire market. You know, this would be like a, a black swan type of event. Or you know some some type of risk that would affect affect the total market. You know, um, I think of like uh, when when COVID first you know became a thing. Um, you know, when we first start seeing cases pop up in the United States, you know, people were selling investments uh, across the board, whether it made any sense or not. You know, uh, some investments actually do well in those types of environments, but it was one of those where you just throw the baby out with the bathwater and. You know, I think those are, you know, uh, other ones would be like uh, political risk or macroeconomic risk or, you know, inflation. You know, it's going to affect the the all the whole market in some way, shape, or form. Um, and then there's unsystematic risk, which is a little bit more specific that you can manage and you can typically through diversification, uh, but it's risk associated with, uh, you know, a particular sector or industry. Or a particular company, um, but but unsystematic risk you can you can really insulate yourself against uh, through diversification uh, and and a longer term investment horizon. Um, and so you know when we you know ideally when we're working with clients and sometimes even ourselves, you know what risk management is a real thing. You know, we're trying to manage this as we go, because like I said, we want to achieve our goals with as little heartburn as possible. And, you know, Myra, you talked about when things start going south or even though, uh, you know, we tell, we tell people like we plan for volatility, like, yes, this plan looks great on paper, but you know, (laughs) where the rubber meets the road is like, can you actually handle it when these things that we say are going to happen actually happen? And so um, we, we try, you know, some things that you can do to to incorporate risk management is, you know, there's you can stress test portfolios. You know, what is this portfolio done or this investment done in, at a particular time? And, and, you know, like what 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 would this have done, you know, in the great financial crisis or what would this have done in the covid era or what would this have done, you know, in the, the tech bubble uh, and things like that? So you can get an idea of what what volatility will occur or could occur, you know, and what we try to do is line up, you know, like, okay, if this is, if, if this is the, the, the goal we're trying to achieve and we have a plan in place and we need to achieve, you know, 7% returns on a portfolio, you know, we, we then go back and say, okay, that looks great. Well, we, we think we can get 7% or whatever it is, but the, the portfolio that we're going to invest in in order to achieve that looks like this. And here's what that looks like, you know, and here's the volatility that you could experience, you know, can you handle that? Um, and so we just try to line those two things up. If you can, if you can do some kind of risk tolerance survey, which is 
very, very fluid. It's not the be all end all, but you know, the idea is trying to line up what you need to do as far as returns to achieve your goals with potential volatility. And are, are you okay with that? And, and generally, if you can build that with a diversified portfolio and you can have time on your side, you know, you'd actually don't lose money until you sell or until you change your plan. And there's, there's times for changing your plan makes sense. And I think we've talked about that, but the reality is uh, the plan uh, more times than not should work as long as uh, you stick to it and make small adjustments along the way. Yeah. So you mentioned a you know, couple events over the last 20 years or, or so, uh, you know, most recently in 2023, when we think about it, you hear a lot of, in the past couple of years about the 60, 40 portfolio, is it dead? And, um, you know, when rates were lower, it's harder to earn money off of a fixed end portion of your portfolio but now that we have yields and dividend or yields where they are um yeah the 60 40 portfolio is <coughs> stocks and bonds and it was yep. quickly like not the portfolio of the future to one year later like oh it's back right <laughs> <laughs> what have you done for me lately yeah. well, and and that year uh 2022 20, when it dropped 16 percent uh um like it was a all equity portfolio. It was a recent gut check, you know, is that really what I need? But, um, uh, you know, 16% decline and what would be considered a safer type of portfolio. Um, but if you went all to cash the following year, 2023, you only got a 5% return. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, money markets, some CDs are paying today. Um, but if you stuck to the plan, you would have had triple that return at a roughly a 15% return. Um, so, you know, sticking to the plan, even through thick and thin with really a historic volatility in that type of portfolio, you would have been rewarded the following year. Um, and that's all still in the short run, you know? Um, right. And it, 22 was, a you know, across the board, just a, a really bad year for stock markets and bond markets. But I think what really 2023, it started out okay, but then it, it gradually started turning negative again. And really it was, you know, three-fourths of the year of 2023, so almost full a full two years. And I, I mean, I specifically remember getting, you know, calls and having conversations like in September, October, it's like, okay, like we know what the plan is, but we're like almost two years into this thing. Like, meanwhile, I'm getting ready to retire or do all these things. People started getting uneasy and, um, you know, really all the returns, almost all the returns from 2023 just happened in that last quarter, three month window, a lot in December. And, um, you know, so there's something to be said if you if you kind of say, hey, you know, I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. And you go to cash like clearly you're hurt in the short run, even though it feels like the right decision. Um, and, you know, normally, well, not normally, but just like factually, the best days of the year, a lot of times are right on the heels of some of the worst days. And so I think when you're when you kind of get to that point where you're like, gosh, is this thing ever going to turn around? Like I'm taking this risk, but it's not paying off. I just keep losing. That's when you're more inclined to want to get out or it capitulates with like 
two or three days that are just really bad, a lot of negative news. And so then you get out, but, um, you know, there's a, I'm looking at a chart that's talking about the S and P 500 over the last 20 years. And it says seven of the 10 best days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days. So again, it's saying a lot of the best days happen right on the heels of some of the worst days and which is even more reason to stay invested. And, um, over that, over that period, you know, this is the last 20 years, you know, basically if you stayed fully invested, you earned almost 10% a year through the ups, the downs, the bads, bad, bad years, bad days, bad months. But if you just miss those 10 days, which is easy to do because you're probably going to sell when things are, are bad, you right. know, behavioral finance, like that's what you think is the right thing to do because it maybe it helps you sleep at night. But if you just miss the 10 best days, you know, which is probably unheard of for you just to sit out for 10 days, but your returns are almost cut in half, 5% to 10% over 20 years is a big deal. Right. Yeah. And I, I think we justify it because we think it's different this time. It always feels different this time. Right. Yep. And it, and it is different because the circumstances are different, are different. Yeah. but, but it's really always the same. Right. It's, it's always the same. It's, um, and if and if it's not the same, then honestly, if there's a black swan type event, then there's not a whole lot you can do about anything. So, you know, it, it always feels different. It is different because the situation's different, but it's also exactly the same as, you know, times before. Yeah. And I guarantee you, at those times in the past, people felt the same way. It's different this time, you know, it's just in the moment it feels different. but. Um, yeah, I want to go back just for a second on the fixed income, um, the bond portion, you know, being down as interest rates rose. And I, what would you say was the negative return on the bonds? Uh, well, it was a 60 40 portfolio. Okay. Okay. Uh, negative 16. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things about the bonds is the bonds aren't all created equally either. Um, and their returns and volatility can really be in a wide range. Um, so even within fixed income and bonds, you, you still need to make sure that those are meeting your time horizon. So we think of them as safe. But if you have a 30-year bond, um, that's a long time horizon, so it can fluctuate a lot. Right. So um, it's important when we're building, uh, when you're building a portfolio to not just think of the, the bond portion as a, a blanket, um, but that within that bond portion, there's different risks, different volatility you know, wide spectrum of choices there that you need to make sure is meeting your goals. Right, right. And you're exactly right. That's the you know, thing about the, about the mini banking crisis last year. It was, they were holding long-term right, treasuries. Right. And those are more For short-term volatile. needs. They yeah, were holding long-term right. treasuries <laughs> for short-term needs, yeah. Right. More, more volatile price-wise uh, than shorter-term fixed income, so... Yeah, I think when we talk about generally stocks and bonds um, and portfolios, you know, there's, you know, you can, you can, the basic asset classes, stocks, bonds, uh, cash or cash equivalents and maybe alternatives, but, but underneath those asset classes is, you know, um, a lot of different 
types of stocks, a lot of, like you said, a lot of different types of bonds. And so sometimes it's not as simple as just, you know, um, very high level and basic. I'm going to own the bond index, mm-hmm. you know, that is low cost and tax efficient, but, you know, it's going to contain, contain a lot of 30 year bonds that have a ton of interest rate risk, you know, and so, um, you know, it is important to, I think, um, you know, Buffett said, if you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail. And so like with the plan that you're building, make sure that uh, the bones of it, you know, hold up and are diversified, you know, underneath the surface. It's not just, okay, here's my 60-40 and let's go. 60-40s are going to behave drastically different depending on what kind of market we're in and what kind of risks are at play. Anything else? Yeah, I think one thing we haven't touched on is what what tools do we use as advisors to best mitigate this risk or at least make sure the risk we're taking makes sense for the goals of a client? Um, and, of course, there's the obvious. We're doing portfolio reviews, you know, constantly reviewing things. We have monthly um, investment committee meetings. Um where we're talking about these, you know, different types of risks and what's um, maybe more prevalent at the moment out there. But um, we also use software um, and and two of the main softwares that we use, one is for planning in general and just really what is the time horizon? What's the return need that's necessary to meet goals and how much, growth do you, what return do you need to to meet those goals um and we don't necessarily do that for everyone cuz sometimes it makes sense to do it sometimes it doesn't um that's one that's one of our tools that we use to help gauge what's the the appropriate amount of risk to take in a portfolio and what types of risk and then we also have another software formerly called Riskalyze now it's called Nitrogen and um, we can run some of those tests with portfolios that Nick was talking about a little bit earlier, where we can say, what would this portfolio have done maybe in 2008 or 2020 or um, when interest rates are rising, when interest rates are falling, different periods of time in the past. So we can really um, put the different portfolios, different individual um, investments, um, maybe it's an ETF or something like that, and see how has this behaved in the past um, if we're in a similar situation in the future. So th- those are those are some of the things we think about and tools that we use here to um, either diversify away or make sure that the risk we're taking is appropriate for the client. Yeah, and you can also, you know, we'll, we'll use a Monte Carlo analysis. You know, a lot of times within our financial plans, it's like, okay, well, here's, here's what you're doing. You know, here's how you're investing currently, or here's how we're investing currently. And, you know, these are the goals, you know, so, so if, if, if this is our goal, we want to retire at X age or um, have this amount of income in retirement, or we want to you know, have be able to leave X amount of charitable gifts or put grandkids through college. You know, we can we don't really know what the market's going to do in the future. I think we be uh, long term. Your the odds are in your favor of of making money with stocks. But 
um, we'll run Monte Carlo analysis, which is essentially a tool that basically says, okay, based on this portfolio today, we don't know exactly what type of market cycles in the future, but we can run this scenario over you know, multiple hundreds, over a thousand different market cycles and see you know, out of a thousand different market cycles, you know, how many times out of a thousand percentage wise do, do you meet your goal? you know, based on the current portfolio. And if it's, you know, a low percentage, then we can adjust. And so, but it just gives us a general idea of what to expect without making predictions using a lot of data. And so, and there's people, there's, there's tools online, I think, you know, that you can use if you've got a company 401k plan that uh, most of them these days, the providers, um, the fidelities of the world and empower and, um, you know, Lincoln, they'll offer free tools. They're not necessarily always as robust and sometimes can be confusing, but there, there's, if you, if you want to know, you can, you can hire a financial advisor or you can, you can get curious yourself. And I think that that's probably a good thing sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, lots of tools. Us, yeah, the internet's an amazing thing. Sometimes. Um, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, don't believe everything that you read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the main point of this was just really to to discuss risk and what we mean by it, because uh, as Nick said in the beginning, uh, you, you know, you risk walking across the street, getting in your car. Um, you know, our definition of risk is a whole lot different. Um, but there is a reason behind why we ask those questions. And it's all about setting goals and uh, making sure that you do your best to achieve them, and and uh, uh, I always want as much gain with as little pain as possible, and uh, <laughs> whether it be working out or, or your portfolio. So, uh, yeah, and it's a good time of year to do it, and it's, right. it's something that you probably should look at. You know, don't just set something and look, not look at it again for ten years. In some ways, there's there's uh, that is wise to a certain extent uh, to not get caught up in the day to day, but it is something. Uh, people's lives change and things happen. And so uh, it's good to revisit, you know, what your investment strategy is and the potential risk associated and the risk that you're willing to take, you know, at least on a regular basis, not necessarily month to month, but uh, maybe annually or every few years, depending on your age. Yeah, I agree. I think that about does it for us today. Uh, uh, Join us next time on the podcast. It's John, Nick and Myra. We'll see you soon. Oh, 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 oh,